Amen, amen, and amen. Well, happy Mother's Day to each of you. God bless you. We are so glad that each of you are here. And if you are just joining us right now, uh, we welcome you to Lodi, California, lovely Lodi. And uh, we welcome you especially to your new home church. And uh, we want you to enjoy the time here with us this morning. Do not turn that dial. You just stay here. God has brought you here, and you're going to enjoy this. I guarantee it. We're going to have such a wonderful time. The rest of the service already been blessing. Thank you, each of you on Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and those on YouTube. I'm just so excited that each of you are here. Happy Mother's Day. Don't we thank the Lord for our wonderful mothers, all these wonderful folks who have made such a difference in our lives? Let's do this. Let's give them our appreciation this morning. Let's just show them our appreciation, our love right now. And if your mama's with you close by, give her a hug. Uh, give her a high five. Tell her thank you. Uh, we are so thankful that each of you are here. I know for some, Mother's Day is a day you not only you look forward to, it's kind of a bittersweet time, but it's, uh, others, it's uh, maybe you're facing a Mother's Day for the first time without your mom. And for others who've maybe had to go through many Mother's Day without your mom here, we're sorry. I'm so th- grateful that we can just uh, tell you how much we love you, we're praying for you. Others perhaps wish you were a mom, others maybe have some memories of your mom that are not so good, and uh, I just want you to know Jesus is there for you. And so on this Mother's Day, we welcome each one, but uh, I am going to start a new series on the subject of patience. I will tell you, Uh, This is one series I am preaching to myself, for sure, because I will promise you I need patience right now. I need patience all the time, for sure, but I have never needed patience more than I need it right now. But The kind of patience that often is talked about in the world is not biblical patience, and we're going to talk about biblical patience. And for sure, this is absolutely a Mother's Day sermon, because who needs patience more than mothers? It's been said that every mother needs a lot of patience, but more importantly, she needs a bathroom door with a lock so she can hide. (laughs) I think we all can identify with the one mother who said, I wish I was as thin as my patience. (laughs) Amen. I can say amen to that one. And another insightfully stated, patience, patience, that's what parents have when there are witnesses present. (laughs) Yep. We certainly need patience. I will tell you, in this busy, confusing, increasingly rude world we live in, I think the things that are going on would challenge even the most uncomplaining and unflappable among us. It would be nice if all the irritations of life would just go away, and if we could just go back to our normally irritated life. (laughs) But I will tell you, It is a fact. We have to be out in this world, whether it be uh, standing in line at Walmart or thanking them for the opportunity to go into Costco, waiting your turn at the ATM, enduring bad drivers always, or tolerating the seemingly draconian lockdown measures. The list is endless. What is needed in this season is biblical patience. You say, well, boy, I tell you what, I'm not much on self-restraint. Folks, self-restraint, nobody can do that. It will eventually fail. What is needed is biblical patience. Some have said, it's a very well-known quote, that patience is a virtue. (laughs) We quote to our children, well, it is a virtue. But if it's a virtue, I will tell you, it is a neglected virtue. We have become an increasingly impatient world. Now, some mistakenly imagine that it means passive or emotionless, apathetic, doing nothing, saying nothing, doing nothing, no matter what happens or comes into your life. Others imagine that patience is just an innate character trait. Some have it, some don't. It's born into your life. But I will tell you that biblical patience, are you listening? 
Biblical patience is a gift from God, and it is something that grows more and more complete as Christ lives in us. It is something that we can all definitely improve on because it is something that is biblical. It is no way, shape, or form being passive. That's stoicism. You know, nothing bothers me. You know, I can do anything. Pain is my friend. No, that friend is not biblical patience. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 and or chapter 12 verse 1 says that it is a race that we run with patience. You run that race with patience. Maybe you were in track. Maybe you did some other kind of sport and especially competitive sports. Uh, you know, it's not full on all the time. You got to, there's ebbs and flows to any sport. You got to know when, you know, to do this or to do that. But if you're in that race, you got to know when it's right time to, to strike. Patience is waiting for the right moment. Patience is moving ahead, moving back. It is biblical patience that is something that is actually very, uh, something we really put our effort into. And it is something that Christ does in us. You'd say, well, it is something we do. No, it's really something more importantly. It is something that we are. It is something because the new nature of Christ is in us. You'd say, well, I'll tell you one thing, Pastor. For me, patience is impossible. Well, it might be. I know it is for me. But I will tell you this. It might be impossible, but it's not him possible. It is possible with Jesus in your life. You can have biblical patience. That is why God talked about it so often. Well, for the next three weeks, the Lord willing, we're going to talk about patience. And as a church, we need patience for sure. Families, we need patience. No matter who we are, young, middle-aged, older, we all need to learn true biblical patience. Well, uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to continue on. But before we pray, I think I told you before about the dear Christian woman, frustrated Christian wife, for sure, who had this very thoughtful prayer. Listen to the prayer. You might want to write it down. Dear Lord, give me wisdom to understand my man. Love, Lord, to forgive him, and especially, dear Jesus, patience for his moods. Because, Lord, if I pray for strength, I'll beat him to death. <laughs> yes, we need patience. I can tell you for sure, that's I think we all think that if I don't, if God better give me patience because if I pray for strength, I'm going to go crazy. Let's this morning pray for biblical patience, would you? <laughs> don't, be a, don't be afraid, we can pray that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you that God, you have a plan in our life to give us a true understanding of real patience. Now, Lord, these are precious saints. Lord, my heart has been hurting this morning as I've thought about so many who wish they could be in the building, in the house of the Lord. And Lord, I pray that you will meet them and that, Lord, your Shekinah glory will come right into their car, into their home, their backyard, wherever they are, Lord, that you'll just come and meet with them. And we'll thank you. God, give us, I pray, an understanding of biblical patience. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Let's read it out loud. Let's read it together. Ready? Begin. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. What a great uh, speech. Uh, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. The day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you got a new calling, and that's called a worthy walk. Oh, God, give me a worthy walk. I want to be worthy, husband. I want to be a worthy mother. I want to be a worthy businessman, worthy of wearing the name of Christ. I want to walk worthy of that amazing name you sometimes a policeman will have a uniform, and they say, walk worthy of that uniform. We get a certain title, and we want to walk worthy of that title. And so that's the goal. 
to walk worthy. How do you do that? You have got to have patience. Look at verse 2, lowliness, humility, meekness, just uh, being able to step back. And then that word long-suffering, long-suffering, it's actually the word patience. It is the same word translated in James chapter 5, in Hebrews chapter 6, as patience. Here it's simply Whatever reason the King James translators put it as long-suffering, and actually it's a good word because that's a very uh, accurate description. Thank God for those translators who took the Greek word, for you Greek geeks, the Greek word is macrothumia. Now, I know the only Greek word you usually know is, you know, um, what is that, uh, that, that, you know, Apo, you know, they're excited about what they're doing, you know, Opa or Opa, Opa, there it is, Opa, you know, but uh, here it is, macrothumia. It's actually a compound of two words. Now listen, we're going to do a little bit of teaching here, macro. Now macro is the word for big or long. For example, if you want to look at the big picture, you say we want to, to get the macro, uh, not micro, you know. Sometimes people talk about management, macro-management and micro-management. Macro means big. It means long. The second part of that word is thumos. It's a very familiar Greek word also, thermometer. Thumos means heat or it means temper. And so you put those together. And so we're talking about the big picture, long temper, long heat. J. Vernon McGee, the wonderful, great uh, late a Bible teacher, radio Bible teacher said it means long burning, <laughs> long burning, not having a short fuse. You don't blow up. Every time something happens, you are long tempered. Now, as you go through the New Testament, the Greek word macrothumia has three meanings. And that's going to be, we're going to use uh, Ephesians 4 verse 2 as our uh, starting point. And then we're going to look at those three senses that macrothumia brings to us. And so let's look at them. First of all, what, does, what is biblical patience according to Scripture, the New Testament? It is, first of all, never giving in to negative circumstances. Never giving in to negative circumstances. Ephesians 4 and verse 3, look at it. We see the overarching goal of why we have patience. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond, the commitment to peace. When you get married, you make a commitment to peace, the bond of peace. You say, I promise to thick and thin, you know, whatever, I just, I'm there. Good times, bad times, you know, you make, it's a bond of peace, and there's nothing like peace in a marriage, nothing like peace in a home, nothing like peace in a church or a business, just peace, peace in the heart. Now, Paul said, if you want to have peace, if you want to have this peace that just, it's greater than just, you know, no problems going on, but it's, it's a commitment, a, a bond of peace, then you've got to have biblical patience because biblical patience leads to peace, peace in the home, peace in the marriage, peace in your life. Biblical patience will bring peace in your heart. No matter how the, bad the circumstances are, I never stand down for my duties. No matter how the difficulty the situation is, I stay there and I never relinquish my post. It means never sinking to unbiblical behavior. Patience means never becoming unchristlike in my actions. James, brother James, said it's a temperament that goes like this. Look at James 1 verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, and he said, look, I love you. You're my brothers. You're my sisters in the Lord. Now, he said, let me tell you something. Let me just give you a, a good bit of advice right now. This is a Holy Spirit bit of advice. Let every man, be, let every woman be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Swift to hear. Usually, we are quick to talk, <laughs> quick to spout off. But he said, no, you need to be swift to hear, think, listen for a minute, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Wait till the chill. 
in other words. And then you can act. Then you can speak. Pause until better judgment prevails. The book of James says, stop. Get in the Word before you talk. Get in the Word. I say, get in the Word. Get in the Word. That's where biblical patience begins. I got a Word. God's Word just shut my mouth. God's Word just put a muzzle on my mouth. God's Word just kept me from spouting off. God's Word helped my fuse, just kind of all the fire, it just kind of melted away. God's Word did that for me because the circumstances I'm in just are so overwhelming, and yet because of God's strength, I have biblical patience. When we have biblical patience, we understand that God has His ways, and His providences are wise. We'll certainly not want to do what David did. In fact, David even warned us in Psalm 31 and verse 22. He said, in my haste, here's what I said, I am cut off from before thine eyes. David said, I made a serious mistake. In my haste, in the midst of all the junk that was going on, I said, basically, God is unloving. He doesn't care about me anymore. And he said, how? Later, I reflected on it, and he said, ugh, I was so stupid. Folks, God said, David said, don't get hasty about saying things. And certainly, we shouldn't be hasty about saying things to God. One of the greatest examples God gives of macrothumia is in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. So turn there. We're talking about Abraham. That ye be not slothful, that's a good plan, don't be slothful, but followers of them who faith, followers of men like Abraham, followers of people like Noah and Moses, and followers of great men and women of God, who through faith and patience inherit promises. Biblical patience gives me an inheritance of the promises of God. Now, folks, I want to tell you there is no greater story about patience than Abraham. He had received an incredible promise, a wonderful lifetime guarantee. In this passage, is explained, God says, blessing, I will bless thee, multiplying, I will multiply thee from God, from heaven, <laughs> from the throne room. He gets this express lifetime guarantee. I've gotten some lifetime guarantees before, and those things that I bought didn't last much more than the lifetime of an ant or something, but, and it, it wasn't even worth. The other day, I had something returned to Amazon, and they, uh, they just said, keep it. I said, and they refunded me the money and said, but don't send it back. I thought, isn't that amazing? They didn't even want it back. That shows you how much that thing was worth. Lifetime guarantee. That's what Abraham was given. Abraham, I will bless you. Man, awesome, right? Walk in the park. Man, what could be better? Been given a lifetime guarantee of a lot of kids and become rich and be famous and wow, move to this country, Canaan area, Israel, wherever that is. Man, let's go. I'm there. Easy. Walk in the park, right? No, no. You talk about every negative circumstance Abraham had to endure, every difficulty, every trouble, every kind of a complication, uh, enemy situations, obstacles, you name it, Abraham faced it. And then, of course, the absolute nightmare situation of God asking him to sacrifice his son. And yet, with few exceptions, he patiently waited. Now, I know that his concept about his servant Eliezer, that maybe that was the promised son, or his giving in to Hagar as his wife. But I will remind you that he took her as his wife. It wasn't an illegal marriage. And so, but with those two exceptions, and yet even with that, he was actually trying to do God's will. He got off base for sure, but he was trying to do God's will, and God saw the heart of Abraham and gave this exclamation about him. He said he was a follower of faith and patience. Now, I don't know why God waited so long after he was 70 
and got that promise. God waited another 25 years, a quarter of a century. But he finally got the promise. And God said, you got it because you kept waiting on God. You had biblical patience. That's why the promise came. I think a lot of times we miss the promise because we miss the patience. We miss the promise because we get, we get so impatient, we just go out and say, oh, okay, I'm going to do what I want to do. How did he do it? Abraham had a laser-like focus, and that gave him biblical patience. Look what God talks about it. Paul talked about it in Romans 4. He staggered not, Romans 4 verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He got what he got because of biblical patience. One of the great fathers of America, Benjamin Franklin, said this incredibly wise statement. He that can have patience can have what he will. You have patience, no denying you. You'll get whatever you want. Patience, patience gets that goal, and patience wins the race, and patience is the thing that gets us to where we need to be. Abraham was an incredible, good example of patience, and so God lifts him up, and he said, look, Abraham got the promise because he had biblical patience. He was not going to let any circumstance keep him down. Noah is another great example, laboring away endlessly, enduring one setback after another to build an ark. He wasn't a builder. He didn't sign up to do the biggest project, to be the biggest project, uh, the project manager of the biggest um, construction, human construction project there's ever been. He said, no, look, I am, I'm just a farmer. I'm a shepherd or whatever he was. But he said, man, I what in the world? I don't, I don't think he even Noah was a preacher, but God made him a preacher, and God made him a builder, and because there was something about that big old physical ark. Sometimes we're laboring away cooking, or we're laboring away, you know, doing some work, and we're thinking, what good is this? It's all going to burn up. Well, an ark, burn up too. But I will remind you that it was through the ark that God saved the world. It was just an instrument, but it was God's instrument, and what we're doing each day, patiently being a mom or a dad or going to work or cleaning or fixing things up or whatever we do, those, when we're doing it in the will of God, we're like Noah building that ark patiently, patiently, just doing the next right thing, putting one foot in front of the other. And that's what God's called us to do. And that's what the first meaning of macrothumia, biblical patience is. It means it's a, it's a negative circumstance, but I can do this. With God's grace and by His help, I can do this. A rather pious individual once came to a pastor and said, Pastor, Pastor, would you please pray for me? I need patience, Pastor. There's a real lack in that area. He's trying to be as humble as he possibly could. The pastor looked at him and said, Brother, let's pray right now. And so he began, Lord, I ask you to send trials into my brother's life. I ask you, God, and the man quietly reached out cautiously, reached out his hand and put it on the pastor's uh, elbow and said, excuse me, pastor, excuse me. I didn't ask you to pray that I would have trials and tribulations. I prayed that uh, I could have patience. And the pastor said, brother, I heard what you said, but I guess you don't remember Romans 5, 3, that it's tribulation that worketh patience. It is, look at, listen to that verse. Tribulation worketh patience. It works it. It's a workout. <laughs> patience comes from a workout. I don't like working out. I don't like going to the gym. I can't stand it. I don't like working out. That's why I took up golf, because it, uh, you get a little bit of exercise, but I can't stand just lifting things and walking, and it, it, it drives me crazy. And, uh, but it's a workout that you need, and I need it. We all need a workout. And to get patience, we need a workout. And we need to pray, oh, God, send me patience. And when God sends that patience, it often comes on the cusp of these trials and adversity and difficult times. But the fact is, God will be there. He will. And so first of all, macrothumia, big heat, 
long, long picture, big picture, thumia, heat, or suffering, long suffering, it is never giving in to negative circumstances. Number two, it is never retaliating against difficult people. Never giving in to negative circumstances and never retaliating against difficult people. Sometimes the problems in our life are not circumstances. Those, we got those covered. It's the people. It's the people. Maybe that's what Paul meant when he told the church in Thessalonians. He said, look, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14, be patient towards all men. <laughs> Apparently Paul had been in church for a while. Be patient. You got to be patient. Be patient with all men and women and children and teenagers. Be patient. Be patient out in the world. Be patient at the job site. Be patient. Have biblical patience. Are you talking about stoicism? I never smile. I'm never sad. I'm always even. I, when I was in college, I had a, I, I played badminton. Now don't make fun of me. Badminton's a good sport. I mean, I know you think that's a funny thing, but I did. I played badminton in college for a while. It's, it's a great sport. But I was talking to one fellow there. He was a fellow player. And I mean, I didn't play on the team, but I, I played. He was played on the team, but we were chatting and he said, back in the 70s, you know, guys had big hair. He had big hair, big giant hair. And he was a little tiny guy. He said, I can get my heart rate down to 40 beats per minute. I said, how in the world? And I mean, he, well, he, he ran around like a little skeeter bud all over the courts. So I pretty much believed him. He said, I can do it because I can control my heart. I, in other words, I can control my environment. I, I'm a stoic person. Well, I, I don't know how he ended up in life. He probably died from his heart getting too low. But, uh, you know, low blood pressure, you know. But uh, I'll tell you this much, folks. It doesn't make any difference. I promise you. I don't care how stoic you are. God can get you to a point where it is above your patience level. I promise you. And uh, that's when those folks blow up. Because they just don't, uh, they don't have biblical patience. Biblical patience is fundamentally, and here's, uh, I want you to get this, because I actually have never really uh, heard this over the years, but I really believe this to be true. I, I've seen it in my own life. I certainly believe there's a fundamental, or there's a scriptural uh, justification for it. But here would be my, uh, here would be my uh, take on what real biblical patience is as it deals with people. And that is this. I believe it's not just refusing to say something. I don't believe it's just, you know, not, you know, getting irritated. I think because honestly, a lot of that stuff, I, I think it's almost impossible to do. I, honestly, I don't know that you can not say things at certain times. Now, I think we ought to work at it. But here's what I do think it means. That is, I will, it is a spirit that refuses to retaliate. It is a spirit that refuses to retaliate. Now, I can tell you that over the years, I've spouted off a few times, I've done this or that, but I will tell you right now, there's nobody in this world, as far as I know, I mean, God be my witness, there's nobody I have any kind of bitterness towards to retaliate. Now, yes, I've, like one person said, I you know, we don't retaliate, but I do have a good memory. <laughs> and that's what I would say. I, yes, I've got a very good memory. And, you know, there are some people and situations that, yeah, now nah, we got to be cautious here. But, but as far as retaliate, no, no way. No, absolutely no. I have nothing, no desire at all. And as I read through the book of Psalms, especially where David had so many enemies and he was praying, he never had a retaliatory spirit. He just said, God, make this stop or God bring them to shame, or God remind them, or whatever, but it was never a retaliatory type spirit. It was just, you know what, God, I just, uh, I, I, don't want, I don't want anything bad to happen to him, Lord. In fact, sometimes he even prayed for good. But it, it, biblical patience means I don't have a, a, a revengeful spirit. Do you have a revengeful spirit? And my friend, you've lost your patience. You've lost your patience. Now, I can tell you, circumstances will get you past your patience, but for uh, 
people will really get you there. I mean, in a, in a, in a heartbeat, you'll be just, woo, pissed. I mean, you can go from zero to 60 in a couple of seconds, especially right now. I mean, boy, I'm telling you what, it is easy to get impatient with people. A man and a wife are sleeping at home, resting quietly, when at three o'clock in the morning, they heard a pounding on the door. The wife shoves the husband, says, honey, go open the door. Someone's talking at, someone's at the door. He gets out of bed, goes down, looks in the little peephole, sees somebody out there, it's raining, opens up the door, and he said, what in the world, what's going on? And it was a drunk guy. He was asking for a push. The guy said, there is no way in the world I'm going to come out there and push. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's raining. He slammed the door, and the guy's face went back to bed. The wife said, honey, uh, who was it? He said, oh, man, it was just some drunk guy asking for a push. She said, well, did you help him? No, I'm not going to help him. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's cold. It's rainy. I'm not going to go out there. She said, honey, you have a short memory. You remember about three months ago, we were on vacation, and we broke down, and those two guys helped you? Well, of course, about that time, Holy Spirit began to tap on his shoulder, you know, and guilt began to set in. The man says, all right, you know, he goes out there and opens the door, calls out into the dark. He said, hey, hello, are you still out there? Yes, the answer came. Do you still want to push? Yes, please. Well, where are you? I'm over on the swing, the drunk replied. <laughs> yep, I have been there. <laughs> woo, boy, some of these folks, they get you past your past. Man, woo, I don't think I can take this anymore. People, situations. Now, I mean, circumstances are one thing, but people, you talk about a last nerve. I've been on my last nerve of my last nerve with people. I think it's the greatest test of faith of all. But real biblical patience says, I am not going to be revengeful. I'm just not going to do it. Now, I don't think it means that you have to be someone's punching bag. <laughs> and I need to clarify that. I don't think it means you can't um, defend yourself or defend your office. Or I don't think it means you can't clarify the situation. But it does mean... But I'm just not going to get revengeful about this. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm just going to, you know, we're going to carry on. And uh, no, I don't feel like I have to be a doormat. But on the other hand, we're not going to get back at that person. And, and I think that's the core of biblical patience. Biblical scholar Dr. Lightfoot defined macrothumia, this concept of not lashing out at people, maybe because they don't get all of it, they're not understanding, and whatever. He likened it as a puppy and a large dog together. You've seen it before, haven't you? I have, many a time. You've seen a large dog and maybe a little puppy next to him. The little puppy's yapping at the big dog, biting its heels, you know, jumping on its back. The big dog's just, you know, kind of lumbering along, kind of looking there. Every once in a while, the dog will stop, you know, kind of look at him. But you see that puppy, you keep thinking, okay, in about a second, that big old dog is going to chomp right down on that stupid little puppy. But I don't know what it is about those dogs. They just won't do it. They just, they maybe, you know, take their paw and flip that puppy across the room, or I've seen them, you know, kind of like that. But, you know, and God said, that's us. We're the big dog. You're the big dog in the room because you have Jesus in you. And we're the big dog. He said, these are just little yappers. Yapper, 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 yapper. Just, just, you know, you might have to give them a little shove. You might have to kind of bark at them once in a while. But for the most part, you just realize these unpleasant people are just little puppies. They're brainless. They're young. They're immature. They don't know any better. And so just carry on. Do you know what this word macrothumia is most used of when, the, when it's regard to people? It's actually most used in the New Testament about God's dealing with you and I. You say, wait a second, you mean God has to have patience with me? <laughs> yep. I have to have patience with you. 
so you can be sure God has to have patience with you. You say, well, that's nothing, Pastor. I've had that patience with you too. Amen. (laughs) I agree with that. All right, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Look at this verse. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and long-suffering. Macrothumia. Big, long-suffering. Not knowing the goodness of God. What a great old English word. (laughs) Long-suffering. Just turn that around. He suffers long. Suffering. God suffers at how, what dinglings we are. He suffers uh, how we are. He suffers us because it, you can't like, oh my goodness. Not, and long, thank God for his long suffering, amen? Because folks, I want to tell you something. If, it, if, if I had been God or if you had been God, we would have wiped out the world a long time ago. But God's patience, his his, he has macrothumia. He has this amazing, big, long, long suffering because he has a constant hope of a turnaround for that person. Now, I will tell you, I am certainly no paragon of patience, but I can say this, that when I, uh, I find victory in this area, every time I take one step, and I want to share it with you because it's so powerful. Like I said, I don't feel like I'm somebody who's arrived at the become some perfect person for, perfect, for biblical patience. But I can tell you this, whenever I do this, I always uh, have, find patience. And that is, I give my reputation to the Lord. Now, many a time over the years, and I can, I can tell you there have been like, a few times where I can almost take you to the spot where I just literally just said, Lord, I give you my reputation. I can recall years ago this moment where I just said, you know what, Lord, you've got my reputation and what the brethren think I am, what they don't think I am, what people think I am, they're just going to have to do whatever. It's kind of a Romans 12, one moment. I present my body as a living sacrifice. I present my reputation to you, Lord. They called Mary somebody who had had illicit sex. They said about Jesus, he was the mother of someone like that. They talked about this and that. I mean, the truth is, uh, our reputation is the Lord's. Our reputation is the Lord's, and nobody is a greater example of that than Jesus Christ, who was in heaven, King of kings, Lord of lords. And yet the Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse 7, he made himself of what? No reputation. (laughs) no reputation. How did he do that? He became the form of a man. Oh, great. That just tells you how low we are on the totem pole. No reputation. I became a human. Now, the humanists say the highest thing is a human. God said, "I, I had to stoop to become a human. He let down his reputation so that he could do something for us. Rather, and being born into wealth or prominence. He was born into poverty and into a life where no one knew who he was. His hometown was such a, on the other side of the tracks that when Philip told Nathaniel about Jesus, Nathaniel said, "Um, excuse me, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nothing. I've never heard of anything good coming out of there. When Jesus was growing up, he worked in his father's carpentry business. At least he could have been the president or the son of the president of the college, you know, the local Sanhedrin, the Bible college there or something. But Jesus grew up in a carpentry shop. In, in fact, they even said that against him when he stood up to preach. They said, uh, isn't this a carpenter's son? <laughs> What's he doing here in the synagogue preaching? No reputation. Why? Because He needed to fulfill the plan of Father God to fully identify with mankind, to become all, to be tempted and to be everything to all men. The patience of Jesus, putting up with all of that. He didn't deserve it. If anybody deserved the accolades, it was Jesus, but he put up with it because he did it 
for our sake. And one day, praise God, every knee shall bow and he'll be back to that kingly place and everybody will proclaim him Lord. I will tell you that this large debt-free campus project we embarked on 20 plus years ago has been interesting to say the least on many, many fronts. One of the things that's been so impressive to me is over the years as we have seen hundreds of people don their jeans, their work boots. We've had doctors and multimillionaires and college professors. We've even had pastors out there working on this building. I can recall one specific time when a man drove up on a beautiful, in some beautiful car. I don't know what it was. To, man, I'm going to tell you, that thing was just absolutely a gorgeous car. And there I was on the tractor. He pulled up to me on the tractor and said, uh, excuse me, excuse me, um, do you know where I might find the pastor? I said, uh, you found him. He looked at me, didn't kind of smile. He said, no, no, no. I want the senior pastor of this church. I said, that's me. I'm the senior pastor of the church. He looked at me like, what in the world are you doing sitting on the backhoe? You look so dirty. And... But I'll tell you one thing, folks. The fact is, all of us, we just give our reputation to the Lord, do what needs to be done, let God take care of how history writes about us. Amen. I mean, I've told so many young pastors over the years, look, just go to your area Put your head down, put, get your shoulder to the plow, just work for Jesus. Don't worry about what anybody says. Just, just go to work for Jesus. I'm not here to, we don't have to report our attendance to anybody. We don't have to report how much money or whatever, folks. Just, just work for Jesus. Give your reputation to the Lord. Well, he disrespected me. Well, we shouldn't have been looking for that respect. Now, I'm not talking about a father who, you know, needs to have the respect of his children or whatever, but I'm talking about just me personally. I give my reputation to the Lord, and then the people things just seem to melt away. That's biblical patience. Not only is it never giving in to negative circumstances, not only, number two, is it never retaliating against different people, but number three, it is never stopping believing that God is going to work out his will. Somehow, some way, God's going to get her done in me, through me, with me, or without me. I just believe that God is going to get it done. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. There's that Greek word again, microthumia. You know how I've lived, Paul said to young preacher Timothy, you know my life. You know how I have lived for God. I, my goal in life is to serve God. Nobody had a, a better route to success than Paul. His dad had a successful tent construction business in Cilicia. I mean, he was part of the, basically the upper crust in that area. Paul had been special training from a child shipped off to Jerusalem, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. This man was a Jew of Jews. He was rich. He was successful. He was brilliant. Nobody was on the fast track to success better than Saul. And yet God decided he had a different plan. And Paul yielded to that plan and he said he got saved. He got born again. He put his faith and trust in the Lord. He got he, he became an on-fire Christian. And as a result of that, God used him. I mean, if anybody could have enjoyed all the beautiful luxury stay, places to stay, Paul could. But he oftentimes slept in some old patch of grass somewhere. And he could have had chariots and big, beautiful horses leading. But many times he would walk. He did all that for Jesus' sake. He was patient. Biblical patience says God's got a plan. We can wait. God's got a plan. I can wait. Now, I know you want to get married. I know you want to have that precious woman, that precious man. I know you do. But you can wait for marriage before you have sex. You can wait for marriage. You can do that. You can wait for that time. to. to you don't have to go out and to put 
$500,000 in debt and have no security on it. You can, you can wait for God. Yeah, we could, we could have built a building years ago. I mean, this thing could have been done, but can you imagine what it would have been like to face this big pandemic for, and, to, and to have $50,000 a month payments? I heard about a church just this week, basically gone in New York. All the, many churches devastated because of this, and we've uh, seen even in our area some have been uh, hurt by it. But I just thank the Lord that the home church is stronger than ever. Thank God for the the principles of God's word that by His grace He just kept us in front of us, saying, "Hang on to this and stay patient." And that's what Paul said. He said, "You know what? I just know God can do this. God can handle this. I can." I can do this. It's a, it's a race. And that's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us ra- run with patience the race that is set before us. I, I'm not a very good runner. I, I played tennis for a lot of years, but I kind of lumbered around out there. and I loved the sport, but never was a fast runner. But I was a pretty decent swimmer. But again, not a sprinter. But the coach, when I was in high school, I swam for a couple years. He said, you're a distance swimmer. I think he just didn't know what else to do with me. So he said, and my workouts consisted of jumping in the water and swimming for two hours and getting out. That's it. Okay, great. Thanks, coach. That's really wonderful. And uh, I don't know where they got this coach, but anyway, he would, that's what I did. And, uh, but I remember, uh, I think I won one race in my, in my entire three-year career of swimming. But, uh, and I think the guy just passed out or died or, or drowned or something. But anyway, I won that race. But, uh, you know, I, I can remember, you know, you, you really work on, you know, trying to do your flip turn. But you're a distance swimmer. At least I, I couldn't do a flip turn after a while. I mean, I was dying. And so I swim to the next thing, push, try to get a good push off. I had a strategy. I was going to win this race. And, uh, when you're a swimmer, back then, they'd have the laps because you lose track. So they'd put it down in the water, you know. Eight. Eight. And he, I swam the 400, so it was 16 laps. Sixty. Eight. I'm already dead. I can't go. But uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to wait. And I'm, I can't. I got to pace myself just a little bit. So I swam. Ten. Twelve. Fourteen. That means I had to go down to the end of that pool. And then when I come back, you better give it all you got. Okay, patience. Wait for that final kick. I went down to the end of that pool, turned around, pushed off as hard as I could, started swimming. And uh, my lungs had, were coming out of my mouth. And I had to push them away like that. It was terrible. And uh, that long hair I had was in my eyes. And, uh, but I was swimming as fast as I could. I came there. Came to the end, stood up, looked up there. Everybody's cheering because it was the first time I ever won a race. But I won it with a strategy. There was a patience involved. And honestly, folks, that's exactly what's happening to you. Mom, Dad, you're on lap six. You're on lap eight. you got a few more laps to go. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. With patience, run that race. With patience, do it. Knowing that God's got a plan, and if God's got a plan, I can hang in there because God will do it. What is biblical patience? Is it stoicism? Nothing bothers me. Is it just an innate uh, ability that I'm born with? Some are patient, some are not. No. Biblical patience is Jesus in me saying, I can get through this circumstance. I can live with this difficult person because God is, has me in a race and following his principles as my guide, I can make this with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that kind of patience is so uncommon that it just shouts Jesus. It is so unique a person with patience, and I will tell you, pray for me because I need patience during this whole lockdown stuff, and I think we all need patience. We just need to be patient, 
That doesn't mean we can't pray. It doesn't mean we can't work. It doesn't mean we can't do things to make a difference. But it does mean that we can believe God's going to do this and watch God just do a work in us because of it. David Livingston was one of the greatest missionaries of the modern centuries. When David Livingston left his beautiful homeland of Scotland, here's a rags to riches kind of guy in one sense. Uh, I think he was uh, second born of a seven in a family. His uh, dad was just a common laborer. David Livingston said, I'm, he got a burden for souls in Africa. He went off to Africa and he decided that by God's grace, he was going to win Africa to Christ. He began to write back and tell of his stories and his exploits. And you may have heard the name because he is, one of his greatest goals was not only to win these Africans to Christ, but to find the source of the Nile. He felt like it'd be a great uh, uh, infrastructure and a great help to the people of Africa. And anyway, he'd write back and he began to be a, become a national hero. People would just wait until they would get some letter from David Livingston. One particular man became enamored. His name was Mr. Stanley. You may have heard of Stanley and Livingston. Well, the Stanley said, I, I've, I've got to see this in person. And so in 1871, he went down to see David Livingston's and all that he was doing. By that time, David Livingston was an older man and really very busy. And Mr. Stanley wrote in his memoirs these words. He said, throughout the um, days I was there, his habits were beyond my comprehension. But he said, the thing that amazed me most was his patience, unwearied endurance for the souls of Africa. He said, I had a strange experience while I was there. He said, as far as I know, he said barely a word to me about my need for the gospel. And yet he said, I became a Christian at his side because I watched his patience for the souls of Africa. My friend, patience makes a difference. Patience is something that the whole, everyone will look at and say, amazing. How can they be so patient? How can that mom be so patient? How can that dad be so patient? How can that salesman be so patient? Because I've got Jesus. Biblical patience. With biblical patience, we can make it. And you can make it. These are exciting days, thrilling days for the church of God, for each of us. But we're going to need patience. Patience with circumstances. Patience with people. Patience with the plan of God. This morning, I want to tell you that the greatest thing you can do is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if there's somebody here right now listening live or later you're sitting there where you are, I want you to know Jesus was patient. He went to the cross. He endured everything patiently so that he could take our place, so that he could take your sin and my sin on himself and give us his righteousness. And that's what he has for you today. He wants to be your savior. You'd say, well, how, how can I do that, pastor? Here's how you do it. You just put your faith and trust in him. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, be my Lord and savior. Father, I ask you to come in and make me a Christian. Be merciful to me, a lost sinner. And he will do it. Praise God. He will do it for you and for me.